hidden keep, a leap not taken. Retrace your steps, escape your past, and the key will be yours at last. What part of your past are you trying to escape, Halliday? All right, Michael, so we're back at it again, talking about two films this week, right? We're, 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 they're kind of very similar in the way they're being distributed, being, being packaged again and yeah. replaced. So the two films in question this week are it, that it's, it kind of sounded like I was judging them, like it was Judge Judy over here, like they're in question. <laughs> um, Pacific Rim Uprising in question and Ready Player One in question. Um, so Ready Player One is obviously a like giant nostalgia trip, just chock full of of ideas and iconography that we know and love, obviously. I mean, we're reasonably around the same age, so we kind of – falls right in our wheelhouse with the back to the future references and the iron giant stuff and all the geekdom that comes out of that film. And then Pacific or uprising where, um, you're, you're, it's, it's a different sort of repackaging. You're not repackaging the pop culture, but you're, you're, you know, you're taking that idea of robots versus Kaiju and, uh, bringing a whole nother cast of characters and repackaging it and, and, and selling it to us again saying, Hey, you liked it this time. So here's some more of it. More robots, more monsters, more lights, I guess. You know, they turn the lights on. Del Toro had the lights off every time he had the robots on screen. Wasn't a big fan of, but... Uh, that uh, seemed to be a common criticism uh, back in, dear Lord, what was it, 2013, 14, when Pacific Rim came out? Uh, maybe so, but I think that uh, the filmmakers that did this thing, they listened to the criticism because it felt like it was like everything. Bright, sunshiny day, just a nice, brisk 85 degrees out there. Well, sure. Remove uh, every bit of artistry from a true master of the form and uh, just turn the lights on. That's how you fix things, right? You know what, though? I, I will tell you, man. I think that uh, Pacific Rim 2 is better than Pacific Rim 1, um, you, and it's uh, not even close. You are one of those freaks. Yes. Um, I don't know how many people will join you, uh, but you also, you're also you're one of the many uh, haters uh, of Last Jedi, right? You and your uh, neckbeard brethren, or <laughs> you're gonna. All right, we'll we'll go ahead and just break off and deviate here, man. That's good I, because I, I just have to tell our listeners I've not actually seen Pacific Rim Uprising, so I have to deviate. I have to, <laughs> I have to throw in the cheap shots with Last yeah. Jedi. <laughs> Last Jedi was just not a good film. I mean, that's bottom line. Whether Great. it be a Star Wars film and Great. oh, I wanted this and that. Like the second that any character, I don't give a shit who it is, it starts suckling at the teeth of some sort of creature, it takes me aback and jars, jars me out. You start riding on these funky little dog horses or whatever. It's just like a, like I said it on the, the great True Romance film podcast. It's death by a thousand little cuts. It's just you're not allowed to do that. You're nuts. not allowed to promote yourself. I'm allowed to promote you, as I did on previous episode, where I was like, because I kept mentioning your show, and it made me like there was one part that made me laugh. I'm like, oh fuck it, I wasn't gonna promote another podcast, but they got the boot. You know, they didn't make the cut. So, but well, yeah, I you, think that I've got enough credit with Silver Cinema and the the. the that's the, true. <laughs> yeah, I'm out there like the mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart. You know, on the <laughs> megaphone. We, we, do, we do appreciate that but uh no i i loved uh uh last jedi and uh okay so so sell me on you know the, this if we're gonna have a, a theme here of sort of repackaging and possibly sort of fixing some of the other criticisms because um you know just being honest i don't care if the lights are on for this that's fine with me too you know give it a different bit of flair different stylistic choices uh why why is this one more effective than the first pacific rim 
I think that what well, one the special effects are a little bit better. I think um, there it's just a more coherent sort of fight. Um, the 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 great parts of Pacific Rim the original are are the 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 fun action you get between the kaiju's and the robots, and here you get more of that. I think that um, the downside of this is you got Scott Eastwood, who I, uh, I little Scott to. Eastwood, yeah, so little small. Scott Eastwood, uh, Jared Kushner, a film. Um, he, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he he's he's just uh, brutal. I mean, he's not to even be hyperbolic, but he's brutal. But you on the on the opposite side, you got John Boyega, who when left to his devices. You know, you're not pigeonholed into this like kind of goofy Star Wars slapsticky sort of thing. You know what he was he... great in? Last Jedi. He was really great in that. No, I think he was like a little too <laughs> little too pigeonholed into this like um slapsticky kind of he's like the the goofball comedy. He's the he's the um he's the comic relief there where here he's the suave confident guy. You know, he's constantly more into uh, attack the block mode where he's the badass. A little bit more. I it's like a hybrid of both, right? So he's got a little bit of the comedy from Last Jedi, but he's he's also confident in his skills and he's he he's very braggadocious in, in this film and I, I I he's got personality for days, man, and he really carries the film. So I'm sure it's worth a movie pass swipe. Uh I'll just have to admit what's held me back is that my wife has zero interest so i'm kind of limited i have to find a, a night out on my own to check out the kaiju in the uh the bright sunlight but i'll get around to it it's a good time i mean it's uh it's uh no ready player one that's for sure i, I don't know where you're gonna go with that because i know you are a uh or at least were i think a big fan of the the book so this one i feel like you uh you, you've been excited for for some time right spielberg yeah, yeah, attached I, to it and you had yeah. this one marked on the calendar did you ever have you read Ready Player One the book? Uh, kind of. I I listened to it on Audible, so I don't know if okay. that counts. But yeah, I mean, I'm familiar. Yeah, the gist of it. Yeah. Uh, what about the Da Vinci Code? Um, I don't. I don't know if I read that one. I did see the movie, but yeah, I don't think so I was too enthusiastic. Right. Either way, there. It's essentially the same book. You know, it's one. It's just a bombardment of 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 um, things that you know. One is just in the art realm, in the historical realm, and the other one is in pop culture, 80s and 90s realm, right? Which just, uh, more people are going to know about the latter than the former as far as yeah, a bit of, of fun. Yeah, both of them require me sitting there with my phone, you know, looking up the Gundam robot and all these things because I'm not that big of a nerd. You know, I don't know all of the references, but um, I, the the book is it's, it, it's, it's a fun read. Um, it's simple. It's meant for a child. It's like a YA book. Sure. Um, but – which is kind of weird. It's a YA book, but intended for guys of our age because the the references come from the 80s and 90s. I feel like uh, uh, kids now know a lot more. At least they could if they're if they're you know uh, so interested because just YouTube is just a wonderful, wonderful tool. I mean, just the ability for me to watch. I, I use it for like uh, old like NBA sort of playoff like highlights and stuff. Just because. You can hear about certain sports figures, like oh yeah, they supposedly they were good, but reminisce right. on when the Celtics were winning stuff. And sir, please, I, <laughs> I I can't believe you would say that to me right now in this in this time of uh, need when you know Kyrie Irving is hurt. Uh, I can't really complain too much because uh, Isaiah Thomas is no longer in the league, thanks to to Danny Ainge and his. Uh, 
as a trickery, getting him not to have surgery on that hip. But we appreciate all he did for Boston. And uh, we just got Gordon Hayward over there playing Twister at the old folks' home, doing whatever he's doing. I mean, uh, possibly. You know, I know you're trying to twist the knife there, but I think pretty much anyone who's not a Golden State Warriors fan, we're kind of just taking the NBA off for a couple of years, and then we're we'll get back into it when uh, when that dynasty is is done. So that's why I'm on YouTube. My point was though, uh, before you started throwing haymakers. Uh, is that you can you actually can educate yourself on stuff that was ahead of your you know your your lifespan as far as diving into entertainment. You can become very well versed in certain you know songs or TV shows or even some people watch like damn old commercials, which I find fascinating. Those are like really popular on YouTube. Like people just like wanting to experience what was like watching television like in this. So like, where's year. the beef commercial or yeah. the uh, the Apple computer commercial that was so sure. big in the Super Bowl? Yep. Yeah. Um. Now, I'll say this. Um, I'm not one for just nostalgia for nostalgia's sake. Um, but, you know, some of the stuff in Ready Player One, the film, got me. I mean, the the, uh, the Shining sequence, oh, I yeah. think, is it works. fantastic. I, I love Actually, I went into this movie thinking, like, well, as long as Spielberg strikes a balance between, hey, look at all this cool shit that you remember from your youth – uh, and then still makes this a fun movie with these inter- individual characters. Too, as soon as they brought in The Shining, I was like, "Fuck these characters! Just show me more Spielberg versions of these classic movie sets, you know, sort of digitized." I could have just done that. That 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 truly worked like a theme park ride, like the, some of the best like Spielberg popcorn films, like Jurassic Park, have done before. That oh, yeah. one sequence, not the movie itself. Yeah, I, I, there. I think there are other sequences that work. Um, uh, for me, like the sequences that don't work is when it's the barrage, right? That opening chase uh, with the King Kong thing. Didn't really like the T Rex jumping out there. Um, yeah, that was okay. But what I'm saying is, it, it's very noisy. It, it, it's just that that film is is super noisy with the with just the action. It's not even the references. It's the action. It's just a little noisy for me. Um, the big battle is actually a little bit better than the race. But um, I didn't feel that the nostalgia porn got in the way of the very, very simple story. You know what I mean? Like I thought that it is very simple. It's a it's a video game, right? Like the way we played video games as kids. This, you know, you you get the three coins, you, you know, the three keys, you turn the, the gates. Very, very linear. Um, it's almost like a, the side scroller sort of thing. Yeah, um, it's it's. I mean, it's one that's easy to uh follow through as far as making this a uh, a feature film that i think would appeal to general audiences general adults uh where it definitely leans more you know as you're saying ya is the fact that your lead character since most of the time you you spend is in the uh the oasis their video game world they're they're basically cartoons you know it's not like it's not like you're watching the uh, the actual actors you know be transported to this world it, it's very avatar-esque in that way. And I could see, I could see some adults. Like I could definitely, I could not see my dad sitting down to watch this. Even if he was interested in a movie about chasing down three keys, uh, you know, he's probably more likely to watch damn national treasure with Nicholas cage. If he wants to see people like hop around the world and, uh, you know, chase down artifacts. I, I think this would be a bridge too far watching cartoons do it. Yeah. I, so on, on the, you know, you talk about your dad going to watch. I, t- I took my son to watch it. He's 10. So he has no, real point of reference for most of this stuff but he was really engrossed by it because it is such a simple story it's just an adventure and there's you know little drop nuggets of, of themes and stuff you know dropped along the way but nothing is so expensive as wrinkle in time where it's just you know this is just giant spoonful down your throat 
uh, back-to-back it, episodes bringing this up. Did, do you think it, this film will make him more interested in some of those things? Like, would he want to, like, uh, you know, research would be too strong a word, but, you know, do you think he would want – would there be a character or some sequence that he sees and he would want to know more about, like, you know, the Iron Giant, for instance, if he didn't – hadn't already seen yeah. that film? Yeah, I was about to say the Iron Giant because that, that's so heavily featured. A lot of the nostalgia stuff is flashes by. Right. It's very much in the background. And, and that's why it works because it, it isn't so, so – it's not like Stranger Things, right, where Stranger Things is very overt. It's a slower-paced show, and the Ghostbuster suit is right in your face. The, 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 the posters are right in your face where here it's all just like kind of background noise. I mean, you could go into Geek Fest and slow it all down and break it down. People sure. already have. Oh yeah, I'm sure YouTube's going to be filled with these things. But for him, also when the, the Celtics big... were great, sir, winning multiple championships, or so I've heard from smartass co-hosts <laughs> on Marcus Played. <laughs> like like my co-host always says, anything before 1980 doesn't count. You know all that Bill Russell crap where he was the only like tall dude on the on the court. I mean, they won the '80s too, so I guess you know a few. You know, before <laughs> before birds back when just you know degenerative whatever the hell happened. I mean, to you him. still had a damn decade. You know that's that's a yeah. good enough run. Getting punched around by magic. He didn't have never a good time. access to LeBron's you know cryogenic freezing chamber like that he's got in his bathroom. So have you ever seen that thing? By the way, I've not, it's but too- I'm I am fascinated by it. I actually uh, I'm not a LeBron hater in that way. I, no, I, I just think he's, he's just smart. He just you know he he's, yeah. Yeah, he's well funded. I mean, that's how he makes his money. So it's just just smart to to keep that machine going. Yeah, every after every game, he's he gets into the into like this thing, and it's just filled but almost up to his chest with ice. It's basically a pool, and he sits there after the game, and just it, I don't know. Are we, are we trying to uh, interject too much testosterone into this like nerd fest, like Pacific yeah. Rim Two and Ready Player One? We're like, let's talk We're about the NBA cool again. Dudes, I promise, please yeah. don't beat me up. My pocket protector's there, but I also know about ball. So <laughs> don't don't kick my ass down the hallway. Um, so you know, Wreck It Ralph is a, is a, is a movie that kind of falls into this sort of similar trap, right? Yeah. Of of uh, nostalgia porn. I remember I saw it. I was watching it and. You know, you got Qbert popping up. You got um, various characters from lots of video games, uh, whoever they were able to get the rights to, I guess, that Disney got the rights to. Same with and, Ready Player One. Yeah, yeah. So another um, film that kind of like sort of touched the nerve similar to uh, to Ready Player One is Wreck-It Ralph. Um, and I was listening to a podcast called Movie BS, and they were really hint- uh, touching on this, how the plot is very derivative from Toy Story and, and also – it's basically nostalgia porn by just throwing all the video game characters at you. Um, you've got like Hubert, and uh, I think there's one from like Halo in there. Um, there. There was like the blonde female that 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 you know, I felt like it was right out of Metroid or something like that. But there's something to be said about these films where um, they take you back to a place, right? I, I first about this, I want to say that I hope that whoever, whichever Disney employee it was. Who first said, "Hey, let's do Toy Story, but with video games"? <laughs> I hope that person got a big raise because, I know. <laughs> because if only because everyone else at the company must be kicking themselves for not thinking of it of it first. So easy. So, so yeah, easy. It, see, it seems obvious. Like, well, oh, of course. And and here's here's the here's the here's the twist. Um, they didn't just stop with Toy Story. They were like, "Hey, let's just borrow that Shrek mold as well." 
We got the Shrek thing. Yeah. So here's the, uh, the difference. Here's, I mean, yeah. it, is, it is really to me, it's a marriage of that. Like uh, in in Toy Story, you have, hey, look, it's Mr. Potato Head. You know Mr. Potato Head from your childhood. And in Wreck It Ralph, you have, hey, look, it's Cubert. You know Cubert. Uh, and then instead of with, or, with the whole, or thing, you've you've heard your parents talk about Cubert. Oh gosh, that's true. <laughs> and I, I just don't think that it's that bad to be nostalgia porn as long as there's a good kind of plot going along with it right i'm so be it you know if i want to see my youth you know I, my youth is slipping away quickly anyways <laughs> <laughs> well, as it's my waistline so just i think uh want to bring it back i think it was ready player one that you know in theory i i agree with the nostalgia thing because that's been my big lament with the uh the comic book movies is just like you know, especially with Marvel, they have a formula. So if you've seen one, you just switch out the power, switch out the actor and the costume, and it's basically the same thing. Even like Black Panther, which I really dug. You know, it's not it's not breaking the mold as far as like you know what we expect from a superhero origin story of sorts. They they have you know similar messed up relationships with the parent, usually their father. You know, Iron Man has had it. Uh, and having a, a rival that makes them question like their whole belief system up to that point, you know, very similar, but it's how you present that story. Like that's, it's almost like they can't really break the superhero form and maybe they shouldn't. So for something like credit player one, uh, you know, it's, maybe it's just disingenuous to say, you know, how dare they uh, bring back all these things you love. That's just an easy, like adrenaline rush, or it's just something that they're just hitting you with. But it's also it is also is the plot of this fucking movie, like you know, and not only that, but it makes total sense as far as how they present gamers or people in a digital world who want to you know try to like Minecraft. That's something I've never played. Um, and I've watched I, it being played, but I've never, I just I mean yeah, because I'm not around kids. But it's like I can't say anything bad about. I mean I don't understand the enthusiasm or the fun for it, but you can't deny that. It is some sort of creative tool that they're using. It's a game where they are expected to like build worlds, and that's one of the more popular things. Is like these kids who can like you know build exact replicas in Minecraft of some other cool shit that they've seen, right? And that's I mean that goes back to kids just drawing with crayons as far as drawing Batman or playing with Legos. So are we going to really um, you know say that the one of the masters of the form, Steven Spielberg, should not? <laughs> should not do something like that like and should not present because he's presenting an accurate or accurate sort of look at the internet that wants to talk and interact with shit that they like that's what we're doing as movie podcasters too you know it's not like we're creating something completely new here we're regurgitating repackaging shit that we've seen and trying to kind of make something else out of it we're trying to make something out of ready player one right we're building more enjoyment out of the film like we all saw the film and we're going to talk about it and we're going to break it down and, and, and not even like break it down in the sense of like, oh, my God, I'm going to take it you know shot by shot and all that stuff. But we 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 share our enjoyment or our distaste and that brings another level of enjoyment out of it. And that makes sense. I mean, what's wrong with that? I mean, you know, it, it's one of those things where if you present it to me just in an article, I may lean more anti like you know, if someone like if i didn't know and i guess you know i'm kind of spoiling it for uh people if they've not seen ready player one but i had no idea that the shining 
was going to have fuck all to do with the movie because I don't right, believe yeah. that's in the book or I don't remember. I don't I remember that at all. I don't the remember any sort of sequence. The book is a uh, – it's got the Ferris Bueller kid, but it's not – it's like War Games or something like that. It's That's yeah, the movie Matthew they go Broderick. To yeah, I thought that that yeah. stuff was uh, – It's a Broderick film. Uh, but, you know, Spielberg has that Kubrick connection with AI and at least knew the guy had like talked to him throughout the years as uh, peers, not, you know, and I know if someone's listening, they're going to be like Spielberg is by no means a peer of, you know, Stanley Kubrick, but uh, they worked together and there was, there was a thrill. There was a thrill because it, it felt like Spielberg was having fun with the possibilities of this story in this plot that he get to, he got to nod, you know, back to someone that he admired and he's playing in their sandbox. And yeah. as a, as a cinephile, as a movie fan, that really, that got me a lot more than seeing, you know, a street fighter character or like one of the battle toads, like that whole shining sequence. Did you see the battle toad? I didn't see that thing. <laughs> I saw the, I, I watched this with uh, the nasty Hellcat from sober cinema and <laughs> looked over to at him. I said, Balder bland. And I, yeah. At big Balder bland. I said, was that a fucking battle toad? And he, <laughs> he had this stoic look <laughs> where he was, just, he, it's like, he didn't want to like turn and make eye contact with me. He just like nodded his head. Like, mm-hmm, that was indeed a battle toad. And <laughs> I didn't know if I was like messing with it. Cause he's much more, he's much more into video games than I've ever been. So maybe that was hallowed ground. But uh, for me, it was definitely going back to the shining and uh, I don't care. I had a blast. Were there any harvest moon references in uh, ready player one? <laughs> <laughs> well, that, I mean, he would have had to excuse himself from, from the theater. Cause then it, uh, he, he would have been the, the guy watching the, uh, the the movie from Boogie Nights that Burt Reynolds uh, dreamed of, Jack Corner, where he just had to sit in his own puddle if they had Harvest Moon <laughs> up on the screen. <laughs> he would have had to roll his gaming chair up into the theater and just <laughs> and, and love himself to death. So at Sober Cinema, at Big Balder Bland. Yeah, definitely at Sober Cinema for more of that, <laughs> more of those stories. But yeah, um. I had this uh, this comment, but um, God, I just have a total brain fart now. That that whole <laughs> the whole Jack Corner, <laughs> Harvest Moon, yeah, I'll do um, it to man. So is it in in the case of Ready Player One, we're bringing back nuggets of nostalgia throughout the thing. Um, in the case of Pacific Rim Uprising, we're bringing back just monsters versus robots. But then we're replacing almost everything, all the actors and all this stuff. That's kind of like the flip inverse of mm-hmm. what Ready Player One is doing, yeah. right? Um, does that work? Is that sufficient? Like, it's like, hey, we got robots versus monsters again, but now we've cast um, uh, Danny Glover instead of Arnold Schwarzenegger for Predator Two, right? There's a Predator in there somewhere, but yeah. That's that's a really, I mean, that's a good example because I'm thinking like, oh, that just feels like a more old-fashioned sequel. Where it's like maybe maybe they're cutting costs, or maybe there's an age discrepancy, or maybe they killed you know some one of the previous characters. Well, that's exactly the case. So you know, there's a, the podcast that I, I really really like. It's called How Is This Movie, and he was, and it's How Is This Movie is like the the National Archives of film. Like he just gets on and breaks down, talks about the history of the making, kind of the behind the scenes stuff. Hmm. And there was like a big discussion about Arnold Schwarzenegger. It all came down to money. Now the next obstacle in play was that of Arnold Schwarzenegger. Now make no mistake about it, he was a huge reason for the first film's success. Arnold was still in the height of his popularity at the time, and because of this, he was able to command more and more money for each role that he took. It was in fact salary 
and salary alone that stopped Arnold from taking part in Predator 2. 20th Century Fox just wasn't prepared to meet his demands. And after months of stalled negotiations, all parties involved walked away from the table. Now, not to worry about Arnold, he would have his salary demands met for another project called Total Recall. But that's a story for another episode. The initial idea for the script would have seen Arnold once again go mano y mano with the alien hunter. But with Arnold now out... The Thomas brothers, who had all this time to write this screenplay, essentially had to rewrite the entire story. The focus shifted from Arnold's character, Dutch, to a group of L.A. police officers who were at war with rival Jamaican and Colombian street gangs, when all of a sudden the alien hunter shows up in town and begins wreaking havoc on everyone. Like at the time, his star was rising so high. It's like, hey, man, I got all these demands. If you can't do it, I'm sorry. You know, I got to go do Total Recall or whatever it is, you know. So... You He's know. sort of uh, suffering from having, like, he was on such a hot streak that it's like everything, everything was of equal value. Whereas now, you know, Robert Downey Jr. gets Iron Man. He's going to fucking play Iron Man until they stop paying him. Like, he's, yeah. not, he's not going to let go of that character. Well, that opens up a whole different discussion about that era, right? Where we, that that was like the peak star era where stars made a movie where mm-hmm. I know you and I have discussed this many times where the stars are gone. I mean, you got Denzel, maybe Denzel and Tom, Tom Cruise are Tom hanging Cruise on, and his yeah. great ass. Yeah, um, and that's about it. And even then, those those two are waning as well. Yeah, because I, I think you know my like my dad was a big fan of like uh, the Arnold you know movies. Just seeing like a new Arnold movie, but he liked Predator, he liked Terminator, he liked Pumping Iron, he liked True Lies. He just he just like this seeing this guy and his personality on screen. But it's like he's always sort of just playing. Arnold. He may have a different character yeah. name, but it's an Arnold movie, and they flipped it. They've made that that franchise. Now it's like, okay, so you want to see giant uh, robots and monsters fighting. We've got Pacific Rim, but we can replace every single person in there because, unfortunately for Pacific Rim, and why, I think why it was also contributed to not being really a big hit in the States, they didn't have any fucking movie stars in it. I mean, Charlie Hunnam, not is a movie star. Ca- is that what happened? You think for the original that they didn't have a movie star, or is it just was not very good? Oh no, I think if they'd had movie stars, I, th- I think it's good enough. I, I didn't, it didn't blow me away, but I could, could I have seen that being a summer hit if they'd had Tom Cruise, Denzel Washington. You're gonna, you're gonna get more people who are like, I like seeing watching Denzel Washington on screen, and yeah, I mean Denzel Washington made The Equalizer a hit. I think he could make mm, Pacific Rim good a hit. Point. I would have liked uh, seeing Denzel Washington. Do that bullshit speech that Idris Elba does about canceling the apocalypse. Do you know that part was uh, originally offered to Tom Cruise? Idris Elba's character. Mm-hmm. Mm. I, I would love to see because Tom Cruise. He's not would, businessman enough to me. Like this is well, a, was a very he, business. He, just, he is so earnest, even when he's playing like a really. <laughs> he's in a stupid thriller. He treats Jack Reacher the same as Magnolia. That's what I love about Tom Cruise. He treats ev- every part as no. uh, equal status for him. Going back to the basketball reference, he he posts up fourth graders the same way he would post up Michael <laughs> right. Jordan. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> he's just so I mean, intense, man. He's just he's dunking on yeah. him. Yeah, <laughs> just I get this mental picture of Tom Cruise backing down a fourth grader. Now. <laughs> well, I mean, he'd have he's to. He's, he's a very small man, but uh, no, I, yeah, he he's old fashioned. That I, I don't feel like he's stealing money from me. I don't feel like anything's just a pure paycheck with Tom nope. Cruise. So, but, uh, love Tom Cruise here. Not in Pacific Rim. If he was in Pacific Rim Uprising, I would have already seen it by now. 
No offense to John Boyega. I tell you, you're missing out, man. I think it's a fun movie. Now, don't let me hype it up too far. Get your expectations down and go mm-hmm. check it out. I think it's a good time. It's just a good waste of an hour and 45. It's a great swipe of the movie pass. Has it, uh, has it done well financially so far? Uh, to be honest, I'm not 100% positive. This is now where we need the uh, the old nasty Hellcat to help At us Summer out. Cinema. It's that boy. <laughs> yeah, we're both doing the box office mojo. Uh, okay, the budget on this thing is 150 million. Jeez. China will make that up by themselves. Pacific Rim this week made. Uh, they're currently at uh, 158 worldwide. It'll finish at 250. It'll be fine. They'll make a third one. Yeah, see, I, I would like, uh, I would dig it if they didn't. I would feel that would be more old-fashioned from these like '80s and '90s movies. Is that you would usually get one sequel, but trilogies were not. It's like that was just not a common thing. It's like you, you know, you get a part two, but uh, no one was thinking like, oh, we've got to complete this story. This is like the sort of the TVization, I think, of, of film in that way. Is that if we can have this sort of long epic, and not everything deserves that. You know, like Ready Player One. I don't. I don't see a sequel in this. Oh, it's a one and done. That's a hundred percent a one and done. There's no way. One, it's not going to make enough money. Two, the there is. I don't see a way of it being a sequel. It's just, I don't know. Do you think Ready? I think Ready Player One's going to be a hit. I think it'll make like fifty million this weekend, max. Was it projected? Yeah, this is really where we need like a stat boy, like someone whose job is to have all this stuff already up. Like, I, that's been one of the great things in sober cinema. I'm like, Jared, give me the numbers, and he's already got it in front of him. Yeah, yeah. Um, like he knows his role. But I feel like I don't feel like Spielberg has any interest in that. Like, you know, we're talking about like the uh, repackaging thing. Like, there, there's a clear difference between um, like the Lost World and then like Jurassic Park three. And so, so you're saying with like Pacific Rim Uprising, you don't feel that at all. You you don't feel like Del Toro would have added something more. Like just say you give him the same script for Uprising, same cast. You're I saying, thought it was fine. Like the script was fine. It was just as dumb as the first script. You know, monsters come in to attack and they've got a different plan of attack this time. That's it. It was just as dumb. The the, the script for the first one was just hideous. Um, and it's fine because it's just robots and monsters. What the hell is Del Toro? Del Toro is not exactly, you know. I should have <laughs> talked about Del Toro on the previous episode when we talked about a wrinkle in time uh, of something in the power teeth there. Uh, attack the man who just won best director best, and best picture. Best you know what? I mean, Shape of Water is fine. It's a good movie, but is it best picture? Get out of here. Get out of town. Um, he's not. I don't think he's a good uh, uh, storyteller. I think he's a good visual storyteller. I think he's he's good with his visuals. I just don't see it on paper um and it doesn't it doesn't transfer to me like if you're not enamored by what he's like the 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 creations that he's making or you're not enamored by the special effects i think that the the empirical story that that baseline just doesn't work for me it, it, it it's fine in shape of water it's fine in crimson peak it's fine in everything it, it was sub fine in pacific rim do you feel like uh do you feel the same way about ready player one with Spielberg here is this is this like low rent Spielberg because I'm assuming you hold him to a little bit of a higher standard than Del Toro 
Um, yeah, you know what? I will say it's a little bit low rent, but that's because Spielberg, Spielberg is a master. Spielberg has, you know, 10 films under his belt that are better than anything uh, Del Toro has ever done. Um, so I, I consider Spielberg to be a, a true master. Like you said earlier that uh, to that p- their peers, him and Kubrick, I would think that they're peers. I think that Kubrick is a master at what he was doing. And Spielberg is just the master at something else. So in the filmmaking community, they're, they're peers. They're just, you know, one's just not as highfalutin as the other. They're just different. They're different genres, different styles, et cetera. But they're both masters at what they're attempting. You know, one's a one's an average hitter. Like he's hitting for for he's like the Tony Gwynn. He's still a Hall of Famer. One's the freaking uh, um, home run hitting guy. He's the uh, the the Mr. October Reggie Jackson kind of guy. He's not really hitting for average, but he's just jacking out the park. See, I feel like people are there's Very a bit sports of sports heavy podcast that we're doing this. Sure. <laughs> yeah, we got to counter counterbalance the, the nerdery. But I feel like people are attacking Spielberg uh, for maybe just attempting to hit a solid double here with this one like that he should be there's an expectation that he should be doing more and i'm I'm a fan of del toro but as someone that didn't think pacific rim was groundbreaking it was attempting to just be a fun summer movie i do feel like he gets a lot more uh coddling to go (laughs) go back to our previous episodes of wrinkled time yeah we could just keep doing this yeah del toro yeah then then spielberg i feel like spielberg the expectation is uh that he better he basically better present something as revolutionary and classic as Jurassic Park if he you know just ever decides oh, I'm gonna make a popcorn movie that that's somehow offensive and th- some of the reaction to Ready Player One there where they're attempting a rewrite that he's like over the hill um oh, I, stop. I yeah I don't get it I think you know it's just the fact the people saying it that they're fucking over the hill you know this you know, he's when like when he made the lost world and I was I don't know uh in middle school I thought it was more cool Spielberg shit. And I'm, yeah. th- I'm thinking, and you can speak this as a father that, you know, the reaction of your son or kids are going to be like, Hey, this is really cool shit that they're going to have fun at the movies. No, absolutely. Um, like, like I, like I took him to see ready player one. He just had a good time and none of it revolved around the nostalgia because they don't know none of that shit. I don't he feel like he's going to have a really great time with, Del Toro's work, including the Shape of Water. Rim. Yeah, he's gonna, I'm gonna have a lot of explaining to do when that guy, that little donger, comes out. <laughs> what, what, I mean, two seconds into the movie, and, and you know, old lady's flicking the bean in the bathtub, and with the egg timer ready to go. And I got it, Daddy. What's going on over here? I'm like, I, I, I do love the, the 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 use of the egg timer myself. I, you know, just you know. get down to business. <laughs> yeah, I got an alarm set up when I go to town. I mean, it, we got to keep know, things on schedule here. Absolutely, I'm very regimented. It's kind of in keeping with my spreadsheet love. You know what I'm saying? Oh, God, Everything's very regimented. Yeah, that is that life. is boner killing for sure. Your love of I, spreadsheets. I, like, going back to Spielberg, I mean, like, uh, Bridge of Spies is, I, in my opinion, is a better film than Shape of Water. Um, I, 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 it's crafted well. It's acted well. The story's more gripping. Um, it, it just it doesn't have a creative visual like that fish monster, that like poetic thing that he does with his visuals. Guillermo del Toro is a master at that. At that, the, it's a poetic visual. Um, certain movies that Spielberg can do that. Look at Ready Player One. There's lots of crazy stuff going on that could be that, um, but it just doesn't exist in Bridge of Spies. It doesn't exist in in uh, the post. Um, it just doesn't exist. But those are great. Those are really good movies. That from a 
storytelling standpoint are superior to Shape of Water, but from a visual artistry standpoint, they're just different. They're not there. So well, it's, just, I feel it's a different like, thing. I feel like Spielberg has made it look so easy and that people, have, you know, <laughs> you're talking about the actual, the amount of classics he's made. It's like uh, Jaws, Close Encounters, E.T., Raiders. Raiders. All the Indiana Jones movies. Yeah, you could just count them as one. You could just Schindler's pick, List. Uh, you know, Munich, for me, is a favorite. Munich is great. Catch Me If You Can, I consider a classic. I love Catch Me If You Can. Um, that It's weird, because someone like Del Toro... Del Toro, and I've said before, he's always like so close to delivering what I think will right. be a classic in my mind, but and, uh, there's not one of his movies where I'm like... That's the best thing I saw this year. And that's still a high standard. But Spielberg has probably done that, I don't know, three or four times if I was going down yeah. like my lifetime. For um, sure. I, I feel like the appeal here and maybe some of the backlash with Spielberg is that he's had something that's just, you know, sort of easily put together for him to like sort of go back and look through pop culture. And he makes it look easy to do it that way. You have to work more with Del Toro. I'm not saying that makes it better, but it's like part of, I think, what people on film Twitter and cinephiles get out of him is they love listening to like his audio commentaries. They love his references oh, to I like lo- classic films. Yeah, those I are absolutely great. do. Like uh, he did. He was one of the talking heads in Five Came Back, which was this uh, mm-hmm. look at these directors during World War yeah, Two. The Mark Harris uh, absolutely. book. Yeah. And that I can listen to. I can listen to Guillermo del Toro talk about film. All day long. I mean, you know, it's him and the nasty Hellcat for my film uh, discussion. That's where I go. Big Balder Bland, Silver Cinema. There you go. See, I help you out. <laughs> but I can listen to him talk all day. But do you, don't you feel that people are, are bringing those extras in their mind to his new films? It's like they're it's like they're already in his little club, knowing how enthusiastic he is about what he's making, and it's like they want so badly to be involved with that sort of lifetime appreciation of cinema that he has that I feel like they do give him all the credit in the world. Even when he's, you know, he did his ready player one with the first Pacific Rim kind of, yes. kind of slumming it with a sort of a dumb childhood action movie. It, it is basically a version of kids picking up two toys and smashing. Just them smashing yeah. And I don't, I don't really understand the difference where Spielberg is some hack for producing something like this with ready player one. I don't really right. see it. I think they are both enjoyable movies. Yeah, no, I a hundred percent agree with you, man. I think that, uh, that perspective is, it kind of gets lost on film Twitter sometimes. Um, and that's why we're here. That's yeah, put them all in check. <laughs> Look, Guillermo del Toro, you suck. It's kind of an interesting, uh, idea for a podcast that our target audience are people that we're going to be reprimanding and pointing our finger in their face, letting them know uh, how they've fallen off the, the true path. But yeah, we're getting ugly with it. That's <laughs> you know, I pulled Blade. up, um, I pulled up Spielberg's uh, directorial filmography. Empire of the sun is an extremely good movie. If you've I've never seen, seen that. that one. Never seen that. Very one. good. I really like hook, especially not a hook guy. Nostalgically speaking, it's gotten better with age for me, parenthood and all that crap. Um, Saving Private Ryan, we forgot to mention. Uh, yeah. I'm more of a Thin Red Line Report? guy that year, but yeah. What, what what was that? I'm sorry? I'm more of a Thin Red Line guy as far as my war movie of choice that year, 98, but sure. Okay, fair enough. What about, what do you think about the Minority Report? Uh, Your boy I'll, Tom Cruise and Steven Spielberg. Uh, Double down. I think I like it a lot except for the rushed ending. That's, that's always been my quote, was yeah. it? 
yeah, it comes uh, like to an abrupt conclusion. But yeah. all of these movies, man, they're just great. They're just, I mean, if, if you're talking, if we're nitpicking Minority Report, I think that uh, you're okay. You know, yeah, if I Minority mean, Report I, probably came out like in one of the last three summers, it would be the best thing I saw that summer. Yeah, but that's where we're at. Yep, that's where we're at. But uh, you know, we kind of really went off the rails here. You know, with this our ranting and raving, which is a good thing. It always adds something to it, but uh, yeah, Ready Player One, Pacific Rim Uprising, both um, kind of keying in on something in the past, whether it be a past uh, Saturday morning cartoons. What they are? Yep. They're big budget Saturday morning cartoons, and that's fun. Have fun. Yeah. It's okay. It's okay. So on that note, I think we uh, we we solved good. it. We solved yep, the we Del Toro versus Spielberg problem. That's been. <laughs> terrorizing yeah. film twitter for sure yeah yeah basically we we we're we're, we're shaming del toro when he listens to this <laughs> into returning his oscar like, I just, just give it to spielberg he deserves yeah. another one more than you turn it over yeah turn it over give it to him for the post but uh <laughs> <laughs> see now we i just want to say at sober cinema I'm, I'm afraid people have already just like shut it off when you said give it to him for the post at sober cinema for me and at True Bromance Cast. It's true without the E, or just Google True Bromance Film Podcast. You'll find me and uh, and probably worse for wear and a little more crass, a little more ridiculous if you th- didn't think that was possible after this uh, this uh, episode. And we're both at uh, Marcus Blade Pod. And, Always. Uh, you'll be able to tell which one's the crass one. Michael Denniston. <laughs> Michael, make me a sandwich, Denniston. <laughs> I don't know if I said that on this uh, this episode, but sure. Del Toro, make me a sandwich, for sure. It took everything I had, not to mention Ava DuVernay. <laughs> God. Because yeah, when you started going into this whole thing about you want to love Del Toro's films, mm-hmm. oh man, I wanted to just tee off on DuVernay. Well, the difference is I've actually enjoyed his, where it's Wrinkle in Time. Del Toro's not even come close. So oh no. In Badness? Um, maybe Crimson Peak. It was pretty rough. Oh, I love Crimson Peak. Yeah, you would. I liked it more than Shape of Water. Like, I, if I'm going to give him an Oscar for something, I'd give him Crimson Ch- Okay. Peak. Uh, replace Chastain with somebody else, anybody, with the lady from Shape of Water. Do you still like it as much? No. No. She was amazing in that movie. Now, maybe she was amazing to look at, as always. She's a great villain. She's just she's awesome. An awesome yeah. villain. She's yeah. just chewing the scenery up. She was like, she was bonkers. She's yeah. like sexy bonkers. I was like, oh, man. That being said, I think Sally Hawkins is the only thing I really liked about Shape of Water. She was great, but like, I like Michael Shannon was terrible. Or like, he's not terrible, but that character is. Lombard was bad. The the character's ridiculous. It, he he does. I don't know. It's just, it's just having it's a mustache twirling. Yeah, gun. it's just I I just didn't like I didn't like even. And that's having, the problem with the tour. It's very cookie cutter. Yeah. Like when you when he deals with normal human beings, they're extremely cookie cutter. Or they're they're tropey, right? They're 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 very now, right out of the old films that he loves. I did. I could. I probably could have just watched a normal movie of her fucking fish man and Rich, Richard Jenkins trying to screw the guy at the pie shop. If it had just been like a love story of them just trying to bone their respective targets, I'd been totally fine. If you just remove, realize I'm still recording this, right? They, yeah, you, no, you leave you, it in. This, uh, yeah, that's, that's I, I had no right need for the government chasing them down. I wanted a sex comedy with Sally Hawkins and the fish man and her roommate. 
fucking the pie guy. Set to some really bad jazz music, a la Clip Hunter. And him, like, la- him regrowing his hair because the fish guy keeps touching his head. I loved it. Loved that little detail. Of course I would. It's great. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right, so <laughs> do you want to stop and you want to stop yeah. and uh, save yeah. and all that stuff? Yep. You'll just hold.